it's a rewiring of how we react to what she is. And, you know, you're always quick to remind me and us that she can't at her age right now, she can't control the way she thinks. So it's like it, it's tough because as the parent in the room, you got to be the one who can adjust. You got to be the one that says, all right, this is how she's going to be. I can't change that. So I have to look in the mirror and say, how am I going to adapt? How am I going to react in a way that is not clashing with what we know is there? Welcome to the Sensory Wise Solutions podcast for parents, where parents can get real, actionable strategies to support kids with sensory processing disorder. I'm Laura. OT and mom to Liliana, a sensory sensitive kid who inherited my anxiety and my love for all things Disney. Consider me your new OT mom bestie. I know my stuff, but I also know what it's really like in the trenches of parenting a child with sensory processing disorder. Okay, mom, enough about me. Let's start the podcast. Hi, welcome everyone to the podcast. I have a very special guest today. And it's someone who is my number one fan, someone who funds a lot of the things that I do for the OT Butterfly. <laughs> this Finance, mic- financier. This microphone we use right now. This is Mark Pedix. This is my hubby. Welcome to the podcast, babe. Hi. Thanks for having me. Um, <laughs> I just want to say it's pretty amazing to be uh, on a podcast hosted by another Pedix. Hopefully there's uh, there's room for another. Would you have ever guessed like years ago that I would that you would be a guest on my podcast? Never. That this pedix out of the two of us would be the one behind the mic. Nope. Anything is possible. Literally. <laughs> uh, so it's like the, I would have. I would, I would have bet, not have bet this. Either. I would have bet everything that it would have been my podcast for something sports related, but <laughs> life doesn't go the way you uh, you expect it to. So well, you just here roll we with are, it. and everyone is excited to hear from you. And we've we've talked about this podcast a few times because we always have really good conversations, right? Of course. About yeah. Liliana. Yeah. So the whole point of the podcast today, I kind of told you, was like people really want to hear the dad's perspective of not only raising a neurodivergent child, but using gentle parenting techniques and breaking cycles and all of that with a neurodivergent child, which adds like an extra layer. And it's something that's not easy. And I think there's a lot of assumptions made I think there's a lot of people who think certain things of us and of you because of what I do. So I want to confirm some of those things. I want to myth bust some of those things. That's funny. I was just thinking, I was about to say myth busters. Myth That's busters. crazy. You can't even rehearse this. It's great. Yeah. This is why we're married. This yeah. is why we're married. Bust them. How long have we been married, babe? Um, we've been married for, uh, what, six years now, um, but we've been together. That feels like so short. Yeah, it's not fair because it's not giving me credit for all the years prior to marriage. Like, we've been together um, 14 years now. We met almost right around this time, 14 years ago, 2008. Wow. So, um, Wow. And the past five years have been the most um, uh, challenging, but interesting. <laughs> Yeah, but challenging, but also like bond making, if that's not even a term. Like, I feel like our relationship is on an entirely different plane than it was 
prior to her um, entering our world. So um, if nothing else, these six years have been uh, just, you know, um, it's strengthening, I feel like, for, for both of us when we were already strong coming into it. So I try to look at it, you know, from, from that standpoint. Well, let's just talk about it then. Everybody, you know, everyone wants to know how you think it's what you think of being a dad to a neurodivergent child. Well, let me back up. Let me pause. What what does it mean to you as someone who's not in the field? How like how did you learn what neurodivergent means? Because I don't think I've ever explicitly like said, "Hey, this is what neurodivergent is." You just hear me talk about it all the time. All the time. And I don't know if you actually follow me on Instagram. Like, look at my posts. I know you're a follower, I mean, but like, you don't consume probably all of my content. So be like a full time job. You're yeah. always pumping content out. Yeah. So what does it mean to you? to be neurodivergent like how would you explain that to someone you know to me neurodivergent uh in terms of when i think of liliana it's just you know she has very uh she's very sensitive i think even from the earliest stages um without knowing what the label is or you know um knowing exactly what's going on i think there were just things from the very start where uh, she had kind of, I don't know if quirks is the right word, but just things that, and again, it's like she's our only child, so I can't speak from being a parent before she came in to our world, but, um, you know, just she was very, very sensitive to um, things uh, that have to do with touch and things that, you know, would, would kind of trigger her in ways that I wasn't entirely sure that it was normal, I guess you say, quote unquote, normal with other kids because, you know, when it's your first child, you don't know, you know, kind of what the, you know, what, what it's like otherwise. You just kind of, this is, this is who she is. And um, I think, you know, without knowing all that you knew, um, because you're, the way your mind works and the way that my mind works are just two very different things and I'm sure a lot of other parents can relate to that. What do you mean by how my my mind works and how your mind works? I think people want to hear that. Elaborate. I, I think it's it's interesting because I try to go back to before she was even born and our minds worked differently before her. So it's not so much as now she's part of our family and you know you're thinking differently. I'm thinking differently. I think it's you know, it's an extension of how we've always been. You know, you are someone who tends to, uh, you know, to be more anxious than I am, just because I'm not an anxious person, not to say that you are uber anxious or whatever, but I think you're, you're constantly canvassing a situation and you're, you're always thinking about literally what could go wrong. And <laughs> I, I it, yeah. that's foreign to me. Like, that's just, and I don't know if it is, you know, a gender thing. I'm not trying to say it's a male female thing because I don't think that's necessarily true. I think, you know, it, it could be the shoe is on the other foot. But, you know, my approach has always been to be more relaxed, more kind of, um, you know, things will take care of itself. It will, you know, it will get done when it, it, it needs to get done, but not necessarily needing to stress the entire time along the way. And, and it's not for everybody. Before I was pregnant, I was like, as an OT, I know that my mom brain is going to be hyper-focused on milestones and red flags and things that I see in my clients. And so I think what you're saying is 
when she was younger, when I was already seeing traits of uh, her being neurodivergent, I would call them out. And I think naturally, by that point when we were together, you were like, oh, this is another one of Laura's, like, you know, expecting the worst and talking and and, um, jumping too far ahead and... The, the thing that I, which, you know, as an anxious person, I was, it's one of those things that's like, oh, well, I never want to be that person. But I always said, I would love to be wrong, but I would hate to know what I know yeah. and not do anything and like ignore the signs because I'm in the field. Like, and it always felt like a handicap being the expert in the family because yeah. ever, and an anxious person because everyone not just you other people I could I could tell I knew people in our family were like there she goes again or she's just always like thinking about that and that was that was hard for me but I see also after years of therapy my therapist helps me understand how his mind works too that a lot of the time it's not only that you don't think that way but it's like a your coping mechanism of like trying to protect and preserve the moment, the goodness, the enjoyment of like her just being a kid and not even wanting to think that way. And my brain of protecting itself is preparing for the worst and, and expecting things to happen so that I'm mentally prepared for it versus, Oh crap, it did happen. And I wasn't prepared. And now what? Like, I don't like that unprepared feeling. And my coping of like preparing and studying and thinking and elaborating through every ABCD scenario is how my mind works. Whether or not that's a healthy thing is another question. But I think, is that what you meant by how our minds work and then how that looks in the early years of her being Yeah, a Yeah, I think you, you hit it on the head exactly. I think, you know, the skepticism for me was greater when she was younger because, again, I think you, you touched on it. I'm someone who, you know eternal optimist like i i just i i need you know i i need to be having i mean of the mindset of you know give it some time you know she's still so young how can you be so sure that these things are true yet at the same time for me to not acknowledge the fact that you have the education behind it you know i think the fact that we've been together as long as we've been there's a level of trust that's built up to where it's like, if you feel this strongly about what you're seeing, who, you know, who am I to say and to debunk what you feel this strongly about? And it's, it was hard because, you know, there were times where I would vent to my mom and, you know, I'd be like, <laughs> Laura's being Laura a little bit. And, you know, it comes with the territory with, I think your personality, but also there was a, you know, a level of me not wanting to put such a label on her at such a young age because I didn't want to believe that that could be true at that stage just because I'm like, she's still so young. And how could you be, how could you have the level of conviction that you did? But then, you know, it's funny because like, it takes me back to when you were pregnant and you were, you were just, you were convinced that you, there was something going on to where, um, I don't know to get into it, but like you, you ended up knowing that you had something that our doctors w- didn't diagnose. Yeah, and it was insanely validating mm-hmm. for you and eye-opening for me to be like, I forgot about that. Yeah, well, I yeah. I didn't because like 
it's crazy. It was a you know I don't know if you want to explain yeah, what that quickly, was. And, anyone yeah. who knows, um, it's it's a rare. I think it's a rare thing, but it's called cholestasis, and it has to do with I think the level levels of something in your liver. I don't know, but I was on like the bump app. And there was chats, and I was in that chat, like, all the time, which is what I do. I engross myself in whatever's going on, and I, like, get obsessed over it. Anyway, long story short, no one believed me. I pushed, pushed, pushed for blood draws, and I happened to have cholestasis. And the day I found out I had it was, like, almost too late. Like, you were supposed to have had something scheduled for induction um, by this date of this um, when you were pregnant by like 37 weeks or it's risk for a stillborn. And I was 37 weeks and like five days. And so the doctor was on vacation and her nurse was like, oh yeah, actually your, your levels are really high. You need to come in and be induced today. And that was because I pushed more than once for it. So that's what he's talking about. And that's like the one thing where Again, it was one of those things, are you sure? You're overthinking it. Well, and, you heard and, this on a chat. You read this online. I self-diagnosed this. I needed a blood draw, but yeah. I was right, and I potentially saved our daughter's life. And again, I you think know. the odds were one in a thousand. It was a re- it, it, it was, the, the, it was, the forums that I was reading yeah. that were like, they said, bring this paper to your doctor because it is um, they're notorious for shooing this stuff away and yeah. not seeing it. So I was already prepared, and... My OB was, like, terrible. Anyway, she didn't believe anything I said. So um, I already knew I was going to have a battle. So anyway. So, so yeah, it's funny that. It's funny that you say you actually forget that because it's almost like something I can't forget. Because, you know, I think because of the way your mind works, you're going to canvas situations, whether it's with Liliana, whether it's, you know, beyond her, just, you know, in life situations. And you're always looking to see what could go wrong. And, you know, when I think of that example, it's like if you feel an inkling of something that strongly, who am I to question it? Because you've proven that, you know, your instincts are usually the right one. And I think that goes a long way in our relationship and, and how we approach dealing with her on a day to day is that that equity matters to me. You know, and I know that not every relationship, uh, not every parent, you know, parents that have children with, uh, you know, neurodivergent tendencies or sensitivities, sensory sensitivities, they may not have the, the, the relationship, the tenure, the, the length of, of time that we've, we've built over time. But I always lean on that for us specifically, because, you know, I know that over the years, you've proven that when you feel strongly about something and your instinct is there and you put the work in from, you know, an education standpoint and the strategies that you employ and and I know how much time you put into it, you know, that's what really, that's what gets me to get past any kind of skepticism. That's what gets me to say I'm on board because, you know, it's that trust. It's, it's the foundation, uh, you know, that we've built over all this time and, and knowing that usually your instinct has proven to be right in, in all, in, in so many instances. Yeah, so let's talk then about, um, so at first there was these years when she was young. And to be fair, like how he's saying, how can you be so sure? I was not so sure. I just knew that she didn't feel like a, she felt closer to how my clients were that I saw in the clinic than I had seen other people have kids. And if I'm not going to go into detail of our early years. If you want to listen to how she was and like those early signs of her being neurodivergent, then it's episodes one through four. 
um, goes through our full story. But I want to ask you, and one of the people from Instagram asked, um, what did it feel like to you when she was finally diagnosed? And I'm going to like quickly add a note to that. Um, but also, I think we should also add, like, when did you finally get on, not get on board, but when did you finally be like, okay, like, this is real. Laura was right. There is something different going on. But for anyone listening, her, quote, diagnosis is technically adjustment disorder with anxiety from a psychologist, um, which is kind of like this informal, they're not ready to place a full anxiety diagnosis on her yet, but they're seeing anxious tendencies in her. Um, I have tried to get her evaluated to get any anything else official that we need to get services, but that's the only thing that's, quote, official. But as an occupational therapist, I can 110% say she has sensory processing differences. So she has sensory processing issues, um, anxious tendencies, and just really big emotional regulation challenges. All in all, her brain is wired differently, and that's what makes her neurodivergent. Um, so she's just been hard for a long time. We've, we've been having a hard time with her since she was an infant. But as Mark was saying, he was a little skeptical as to why she was hard early on. And I, I think we kept going through phases of like, well, when she can sit up, when she can walk, when she can talk, when she can understand that we that this happens, then it will get better. And um, early on, I, like we talked about how he preserves kind of that goodness with her and was like, didn't whether it was denial or just not wanting to even think about those things at that time, whatever it was. Mine was more of the fact that I was wanting to validate our experience and say like, this can't be the normal thing or else we're just like weak parents who can't handle a regular tantrum. Like there must be something wrong with us if there's nothing wrong with her. That's like what was going on in my head. And now I know obviously nothing is quote wrong with her, but she does have a differently wired brain that is not what the typical development and pattern and all of the things that we see mostly around us so at that time I was looking for things that's like this this is not like I'm a pretty strong person and I can tolerate certain things but this feels way harder and I was searching for that validation by throwing diagnoses out and seeking professional support that at that time you thought that it was unnecessary or jumping the gun and things like that so Back to my question was, um, when or at what point did you feel like you were like, okay, like this is actually real. I believe it. I get it. And then two, mentally, like how did you process that? Are you still processing it? Like where are you at with that? Yeah, I mean, it's interesting. Like I don't know that there was an epiphany, like a specific, uh, you know, a specific moment or a specific event or an occurrence where I was like, that's it. She definitely is these things. I think, you know, it comes down to the fact that the only other person in this world that is going through what you're going through with her is me. And when you and I have, you know, (laughs) we joked about the phrase, it takes a village, right? And we didn't have, we don't have a village. It's, it's you and I both being very career oriented and both, you know, your turn, my turn. If I'm not taking care of her, you're taking care of her. So I think just the exposure of seeing over time, just a little. Was it in the pandemic? 
Pro I mean, I think before the pandemic, right? Like by, by the time the pandemic hit, and, and again, it's just, you know, I don't want to get into it, but we were just in so much flux with me making a huge job change and yeah. on the verge of relocating across the country, then got bounced back because of the pandemic and to not get into all of that. But there's a lot going on from that standpoint, trying to make sure that my career and our, you know, our livelihood was going to be set up right. And I know that you were focused and honed in on this on a level that I just I just can't be from a lack of education, but also it's not like, you know, I wasn't busy with my thing and, and trying to to get to the next, you know, step in my career. So I think it was just, you know, oh the gradual over time, the it's like death by a thousand cuts, seeing each day just a small thing, whether it was when she was, you know, before she could even speak she would have issues with certain foods on on her tray, yeah. right? And she would start, you know, she would express her frustration without any words, which was. But at those times, you we didn't think that the, you didn't think she was neurodivergent yet. No, I didn't. But I think it is the consistency yeah. of those things happening. I think that when you couple with she has oh my themes, gosh, she has themes that are she the same. loses yeah. her mind trying to put socks on. She yeah. can't wear a certain dress because the way the tag or the material feels on her shoulder. Like these are things that even I knew. You know, again. All I can do is kind of go back to my own childhood and, and the, the very minimal experiences I've had around other kids, um, you know, having a, a nephew uh, that, uh, you know, my, my, old, my older brother that had two kids. So I had a little bit of experience on the fringes around kids, but not anything to where I was there every day. So just seeing these things, it was just in my head. I'm like, that doesn't feel like that's a like that's a that's a typical thing that parents would have to deal with that. And I think the other thing was that it was not just a two minute, three minute like, okay, she 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 cried a little bit, she sobbed, yeah. and we we're on our way. We're talking thirty to forty five minute shut it down. I don't care what your agenda was, yeah. it's changed, it's audible. And I think with those built up over time, it was not so much as like I can remember that day in June where it was like this is it was not that. It was over time you're like, okay. That's another thing. That's another thing. That's another instance. Like it's just you're, you're building that up and it's accumulating and it's to the point where it's like, OK, it's 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 about being comfortable with just understanding that's who she is. And I, I don't think that Do you feel like you've fully accepted that. I, I have. I feel like it because I, 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 I try to, again, eternal optimist. I'm always looking at a situation and trying to accentuate the positives like there's so much good about her and we you know we just talked about this like 24 hours ago yeah. there's so much good about her from a health standpoint her vitals check out you know she's incredibly smart she's sharp she's curious she's inquisitive and she has such a good disposition about her she's so caring and she's so sweet so it's like if this is what she has that's fine. You know what I mean? Everybody as, you know, I, I think what I was saying to you is that who she is now is who she's going to be when she's our age, right? Yeah. She will mature and, you know, there will be layers to her personality and how she develops. But, you know, my, my mom is quick to remind me of, you know, how talkative and, and, and the things, the traits that I have to this day that were on display when I was five years old, how I'm so emotionally charged. That's never left me. It's been that way since I was her age now. So I think trying to take the long view and, and looking at it as to, 
okay, this is her personality. If her being neurodivergent means that she has, you know, from what we can see, great health, she seems to be as smart as you would expect her to be, you know, from from our standpoint, at least at this early stage, it's 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 not something to me that we can't deal with. It's just a matter of like remind yourself, don't get fixated on this thing about her where there is A, B, C, X, Y, and Z that is so good about her. And that kind of perspective, again, goes back into the way my mind works. It's just, uh, I acknowledge that it is difficult and it is something that has made our experience these last five years much harder, I think, than it would have been otherwise, but... That's why we decided we're, we've decided we're only having one. We're one and done, right? I mean, if this is on camera, yeah, I guess <laughs> we're gonna we're gonna play this back if anything. Now we, if anything we have happens. this new Otherwise, phrase. But. We we now that we've had so many of these conversations, we've had this new phrase of like, we only have one. We only have one when we're trying to. It's kind of like our new mantra when she's. It's, when a, co- ha- it's a coping mechanism. When we're having a really hard time with her. And we're trying to remind ourselves to like enjoy the moment and like not try to fast forward things, even the hard times, which is really hard, right? We're always wanting to like get out of our body and not be there in that moment and fast forward to the day when she's not in this house and we are empty nesters. We talk about that all the time. But now that we're like, okay, no, if we are consciously saying we are one and done, she's our only one, then let's try to enjoy it as much as possible, even the bad times, and not try to like disassociate ourselves during like the meltdowns and stuff. So now we say we only have one. We only it's, have one. It's funny though, because like that, it, you're right. I don't disagree, and it, it goes back to I know I always use sports analogies and everything, but it's like what they used to say for fighters that would go up against Mike Tyson is like everybody has a plan until you get punched in the mouth, and that's how it feels <laughs> with her. It's like. You have a strategy, right? You have all the strategies in the world. When you're in the trenches and she's in the middle of one of these epic meltdowns or tantrums, it is the hardest things to deal with in life at times in a way that I would have never been able to prepare for. But I think that there's a level of when you acknowledge that it's there, then that's the first step to me that you can take to start actually dealing with it. And it's like... Don't be in denial. This is going to happen again. I think that's the that's the crazy thing is like we know the next one is not the last one. Yeah. And that is such a a mentality. You're talk- he's talking about meltdowns. Correct. Like yeah. the big meltdowns that she has because. I don't know when, but at some point in the next seven ten to ten days, I would bet money that there's going to be something. Be. Probably maybe today. Seven to ten to, hours maybe because we're, we're going to Disneyland. Disneyland. <laughs> so yeah, probably by the but end we'll of the night. But but, but I th- so, so don't you think it, it's like a mindset thing? It like is. Like what it, you expect. Like we had this picture, per- like we talked about this too, this picture perfect thing of like what life is going to be like married, what life is going to be like with the kid, what we're going to do. We thought we would have a house by now. We would have a dog and two kids. Like we had all of these things and it turned out different, not worse. It's just not where it's at. But we're just having to reshift the way that we look at how our life is and not right. not from like a negative like, oh, poor us. But just like, okay, this is what we have. Like my least favorite phrase, I said this. It is what it is. I hate that phrase, but that's okay. Oh, I use that all like, the time. Like let's let's process what we have and then stop. Like I think I also say things like that's not on the menu. I can't even order that. Like it's not even on the menu. Like don't even think about that food. We are here. This is what we have. 
we have to deal with the meltdowns. We have to get through the meltdowns. We have to support her and not wish them away or not wish her different, which that is really hard. I still have moments like that. And I admit that all the time where I'm like, I just, I wish today she was neurotypical. I wish I could just take her to ice cream on a whim and not deal with the backlash, oh, right? Like, is been, that, that been... you are the surprise person, Mr. Surprise Everything, and I, yeah. you're starting to catch on, but I feel like you can't, you can't just surprise her with those right. things. Like, I know you want to, but, like, it's not going to end well, and she's going to completely disappoint you with her reaction because she can't process surprises, mm-hmm. like, even, like, the, the fun ones, right? Right, and, and again, I think you hit it, is that it's a rewiring of how we react to what she is, and... You know, you're always quick to remind me and us that she can't, at her age right now, she can't control the way she thinks. So it's like, it's tough because as the parent in the room, you got to be the one who can adjust. You got to be the one that says, all right, this is how she's going to be. I can't change that. So I have to look in the mirror and say, how am I going to adapt? How am I going to react in a way that is not clashing with what we know is there. It really is that. It's mentality and it's mindset. And I just look at it as that next great challenge in life, just as school was, just as getting your career going was, just as you know, getting to where we're at in our relationship was. And I think just knowing that you have someone in the trenches with you to experience this and to be there whenever the other person is just not handling it right. And there's just been as many days where I'm not good with it, where you're not. And we can hear each other and and just, it's an immediate tag team. Let me step in like 30 second time out, go in the other room, get them, get a breather. So, okay. So let's, so you said like, let's like figure out strategy. So I want to talk about, gentle parenting, positive parenting, conscious parenting. It's all kind of the same thing. But the idea is that we, yes, we have boundaries for Liliana. And we also allow her to have her feelings and express her feelings, which means we don't stop the meltdowns. We sit through the meltdowns and we find a way to support her needs when she expresses them. Um, This is not how either of us were raised. I don't, there's... There's not a lot of people who are raised with parents who use this kind of parenting because it's like newer-ish. So let's talk about it. Like sometimes when Liliana has really big meltdowns, she's talking back, she is hitting. There's a lot of hitting and kicking. Um, She had one recently, like a week ago. And after, I think I was like right before I dropped her off at school, I came back and like, you know, this is like, I would say a year and a half or two years, at least on my personal gentle parenting journey. I would say the past six months to a year, you've been f- like learning a lot more scripts, a lot more ways of handling, s- like stepping back, pausing, all of it. But but you still, um, your knee jerk thought sometimes goes to like punitive punishment measures mm-hmm. where you say like, I want to. So like I'm talking specifically and I'm sharing this with your permission mm-hmm. because I know that there's other parents out there who might be listening who have not yet got on board with gentle parenting, especially when you have a neurodivergent child because you're having the, some of the most difficult behaviors at home coming from a neurodivergent perspective. So after this meltdown, I remember coming in and you you were frustrated mm-hmm. with, with how that happened. Like, oh, here we go again. It happened again. And you said something where it's like, 
we got to just like start taking her toys away or something about her toys. Like she shouldn't have all these toys if she's going to treat us like that, which I think that is a, that is a really common first thought thing. And I validated that by saying like, I know it feels like we want her to like, we think that that consequence would make her feel like, Oh man, I can't treat my parents this way or else they're going to take my toys away. Like at first thought that feels logical to us. To us as the parents, as the people who pay for her stuff and like, well, why would I give her all of these things and let her have access to all these things that she's going to treat me like crap? Like I, I get that. And that's that used to be my knee jerk reaction, too. And we don't do that. But I like that he voices that because he feels safe saying that around me. And then we talked about it later, like and when he was cooled down. And I was like, you know, like reason why that stuff doesn't really help is because it's not really linked to what she did taking away her toys for her having a meltdown which was out of her control because it was over socks is something that's like not not totally fair and it wouldn't really do anything right Right, right. so but i think there's so many parents out there who still have that first thought of like i gotta do something i gotta use timeouts i gotta punish i gotta take away something Mm -hmm. um do you want to comment on like what that feels like trying to go against that like how hard that is to not do that and how long it's taken you to come on board with us trying this less traditional way now thankfully it's becoming more traditional because of dr becky and everyone on instagram but it's still like compared to how we grew up it feels like learning a new language it's like fighting every natural urge that we have and our triggers yeah yeah i it's it's it is hard because again without knowing as much as you know and knowing that this is an entirely different strategy like you're saying um, in those times of frustration, it gets very primitive with me, right? And I, I would imagine other dads are probably like this too. And I don't know if it is a byproduct of, of how I grew up. You know, my dad, Italian dad with just, you know, strict and, you know, to to a level of intimidation that, um, you know, I, I it, it kind of colored what I thought would be the right way to reprimand or to, to deal with her when she's she's acting in that way but you know i think like you said when when you break things down to me i think there's a lot of it comes with being open to being coachable by you to be quite honest and again it goes back to sports mentality like i always grew up playing sports and being someone who took the input of the coach and it's like look this is how we're going to execute this play you know, for this result. And there's a level of trust that I have with you because I know that you're putting in the work to do this. Meanwhile, it is hard because there are just times where I'm like, as the father to her, I feel the need to be authoritative in ways, yet not knowing how to do that without things as drastic as I'm taking your toys away. That's really hard. What you're describing as authoritarian. Yeah. Authoritative is what we're trying to do. Authoritative parenting is actually like the boundaries and the feelings. And then mm. there's authoritarian, okay. which is more of like the dictator. Like what I say goes, put your foot yeah. down. See, you're teaching. If you, I'm the father. You, this is real time. You're teaching me right now. <laughs> and Look, I get those confused even... too. There's authoritative and authoritarian. Yeah. No, so you're thinking I, about an authoritarian. Yeah. Like the all discipline, not discipline, that's the wrong word. All like punishment, like less warmth, more just like you have to respect me because I am this person and this is what you should do or else I'm going to, that's more authoritarian. And I think a lot of dads that I've worked with come from that perspective and that I hear about 
And I think so, that is, you know, that is probably a byproduct of just, you know, growing up in that generation. And I, that yeah. was, I think, a little bit, I'm sure, a lot more normalized back then than it is in 2022. So. And what I always say to you is that, like, and to other parents I coach, is I'm always like, yeah, I, timeouts, rewards, punishments, those things would probably work in the short term, maybe. I don't even know if they would work with Liliana, to be quite honest, but we've never tried it because I've not been willing to do it. But we see that those things work out of fear, and, uh, you know, which yeah. is something that you've talked about, and I'll let you talk about that. Um, but we're playing the long game. Like, we're, we want to raise her to be self-aware of her feelings and to be not only self-aware, but, like, comfortable with her feelings, yeah. Where she can feel confident in them, not be afraid of them, not hide them, not take them out on someone to truly sit with her feelings, which is something that is so hard to do. But that's where we're coming from. And and her um, having this internal motivation to do things um, because she loves herself and others and the relationship we have. And, and so sometimes it would be easier to just say no TV or take her clothes or clothes, her toys away because she said something, but long-term, like it's not worth it for us. And it's something, and that's, I think the biggest, not fight, but the biggest push that I have, because it is hard for me to show you like less evidence where we're like, okay, we're going on five years of doing it the past, like two years now of me really doing gentle parenting where it's like, she's still having meltdowns like where yeah. if maybe if, if we tried timeouts would she like not have meltdowns like maybe but I don't even it just doesn't feel good to me to do that and I feel lucky that you let me do that without even though it's still like sacrificing the idea that what if she did listen to us and she did have all of these like behaviors that were more cooperative mm -hmm. to what we like but I'm just grateful that you let me do that. Yeah, of course. I, I think it like it goes back to that phrase, intimidation, right? Like, like you know, out of fear. Yeah, and said. that's that's not full stop. That's not the effect that I want on her as she ages and she grows to be a teen into a young woman and is will become a full you know a full on adult. Like, I think to navigate that that dynamic of wanting to earn her respect and have her see us and me in particular as an authority figure without having to introduce the idea that she has to be intimidated by me like that is that if you can thread that needle like that is what i'm trying to do and it's hard as hell because there's just times where it doesn't feel like you can accomplish that without putting, quote unquote, your foot down. And it goes back to how I was raised from my dad. Like I said, just a, a very, you know, uh, you know, loud Italian who it just it was intimidating. And I always was military. Yeah. Air, yeah. You know, uh, Air Force. And it was something to where I had just a mass amount of respect towards them, but in, in it was with shades of intimidation and in seeing that if he was mad, his voice would get raised. And it's like, that's not where you want to be. And it, it, you know this, in, in times where we've had some of the, 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 the tougher meltdowns, I feel that inside of me. And it's like, 
trying to push that down because I'm like, I don't want to replicate that. That is breaking a cycle. That is the moments where you break the cycle where you're like, I don't want, because these are the moments where she will remember and she grows up and. Cause, 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 cause to me is like, I think the other thing is, man, like I, I only had an older brother. I didn't, I wasn't around a lot of girls growing. It was just, my cousins were primarily boys and knowing that she's a woman and I am going to be the person in which is going to influence, you know, what she looks for in yeah. a man as she gets older. The last thing that I would want is her to have to feel a level of intimidation with like any partner she's with. Like I want her to be fierce. I want her to be able to to do the things that you are imparting in, in, in her in that she can self-regulate herself. She can understand that, you know, you can respect me as her father as an authority figure without me having to just instill this level of oh my gosh like i'm scared of how like i this the idea of being scared or intimidating like yeah it hits me hits a nerve with me because i know that's how i felt with my dad and it's like i know i i i can i can get her respect i can do that without having to resort to these very you know primitive uh, you know, primitive tactics of of parenting her. So it's hard too because, like, I, I again, I don't think I haven't seen it. I didn't experience it myself. You know, uh, it's just something that I'm having to learn on the fly. Like I think a lot of parents have to do. But I will say, having someone like you there that can guide uh, guide me and, and pull me back whenever I have these times where I want to revert and just be angry and I want to unleash the 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 volume of my voice, which I know can get to levels that are just uncomfortable. I don't want to get there. I'm not trying to exhibit that. The last thing I want is her to have any kind of lasting image or memory of, man, my dad got mad. It would be so, you know, I'd be so like, no, man, like kill that. Like, I'm not, I'm not here for that. I want her to be able to be like, my dad never yelled, you know, to a certain extent. Like he always was there to talk me through you know, I just want to impart on her the relationship that I want her to find when, when she gets older. And yeah. that's a lot, you know? I think we also talked about last night that it's less about her not seeing us get so angry, but more about her remembering after every big fight or after every mistake, my mom and dad always said sorry. My mom and dad always came and said I love you. Like, that is the one thing we have control of later. We don't have control of ourselves in the moment, and we're all human, and we all make mistakes. We all say things we shouldn't. We all yell as loud as we shouldn't. But we always, like, 100% of the time have the option to go back and repair. Like, that's the only confidence that I have and that lets me go to sleep knowing I can make mistakes and saying, well, it's okay because she's so resilient. She's so willing to forgive. But I worry that there's going to be a time when that stops and she, like, so so I'm trying to build that into her now. But we only have a few more minutes. But I want to ask you um, Mm -hmm. one actionable thing. So... If there, I get a lot of moms, not just moms, but more of the default parent, the parent who does all of the reading, the one who listens to my podcast, the one who who consults professionals, the one who 
take notes take notes on um, blogs and is learning everything about your neurodivergent child and the parenting strategies. You were that in that part also the default parent. And they have a partner, a co-parent, someone who is also a caregiver for their child who's not yet on board. And they ask me, they say, how can I get my partner to be on board? They're not believing in this gentle parenting thing. They don't believe about the neurodivergent thing. It's really hard for me to get them on board. Obviously, it's a huge thing and it's not going to be an overnight change. But if you could think of like one strategy, one thing to say, anything that you could give those people advice or encouragement in trying to get their partners on board, what would you say to them? I think, you know, again, I don't know if it's a strategy or more so advice, but it all to me, again, I can only relay in our experience, right? It it all comes from the foundation of knowing that you and your partner are in it together, right? And I think in times where we butt heads on you know, at least in the earlier stages of whether she has this or she doesn't, it's all coming from a place where, you know, we are in this to do what is best for her. And I think that trust and that equity that you build up with your partner, again, I think for parents that are are doing it by themselves, that's a completely different, you know, I I couldn't imagine because I, I can't envision going through this, you know, raising her without having someone who at the end of the day, you know, you can trust that they have the best intentions in mind when they're dealing with this child who may have neurodivergent tendencies or is neurodivergent. Like, that's what it comes down to. Because when you and I even argue, it always kind of comes back to at the end of the day, we are so passionate about doing what's best for her. And I think it sounds maybe elementary, but just reminding yourself of that is if your partner feels strongly and in the in the way that you do, that there is something there, it doesn't have to be combative. Like the first instinct doesn't have to be, well, I don't I don't mm-hmm. trust that. It, I think that's that to me is the key because again i'm not going to be able to give you a counter strategy to say well you know because based on these you know these readings or what i've seen like i am just not that well versed in this space in the way you are you are an expert who am i to question an expert but again i think it 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 just comes down to don't make it a combative discussion make it something that you acknowledge this partner you you know if, if you are married to your your child's parent, right, and you have this bond with them like we have together, it's all in the name of doing what's best. So I think that that is key. It's crucial to, to always remind yourself like we're not tr- you're not trying to make my life harder by introducing something that maybe I feel uncomfortable in acknowledging. You're simply doing what you said, you know, earlier you'd mentioned that has stuck with me. I think, and partly, and, and in large part, help me acknowledge the situation we have where you're like, if she has something and I saw the signs and I didn't act in a swift manner, I would not be able to live with myself. I've never not thought of that because I'm like, I could understand the regret that you would have knowing that you had the keys and you had the ability 
to step in and interject and correct course. It's like we are sailing down the wrong path and instead of being like, okay, we can we can steer the ship over here yeah. and kind of get back on, on, on our destination a little bit closer, whereas nope, we're just gonna keep going in the wrong direction. Like yeah. I respect that sentiment and that's why I think, you know, being able to acknowledge, uh, you know, your expertise and knowing that at the end of the day, we just want what's best for her and to not wish that she was a different way, but just see the way she is and say, this is the hand that we're dealt and we are going to make this a winning hand. Yeah. And for anyone who's listening, if, if you want to hear how I did it, I don't even know if you noticed this over the years, how I started it was we started by like, I would read the books um, and I would just start like highlighting passages and like writing them on post-its. Like, hey, doesn't this sound familiar? Like I would have him, he wasn't interested or had the time to read entire books with me. And I get that. Like you have to be fully invested or like passionate about it. And from a career perspective, I was already interested in this stuff. And it also happened to work with learning about her. I would highlight um, passages and chapters and be like read this just little bits at a time and I think he would like let that seek in but that's it and then eventually it translated to like Instagram posts I used to yep. send you Dr. Becky's yep. post I'm like doesn't this sound familiar and these are all things that I already knew but it's just like the the marriage dynamic where you're like nagging about like I'm nagging all the, all the time about like the dishes and things in the house that like it was one more thing to nag about but if it were so, from someone else's voice and it was describing the same thing. I'm like, you can't deny that that sounds just like Liliana. And this is, and look, that parent feels that way too. So I think that, that really quick, I think that's a really good point. You, you would uh, provide me with very snackable pieces yep. of info yep. in a way that, like you said. I and think this the, has been for a year. Yeah, yeah, slow and, journey. And then now it's to the point where I can, we have full like hour long conversations after meltdown where I'm not even really like coaching him through that I'm just explaining like reflecting it and then he's adding pieces like it's clear it's sinking and it's just a slower process for the parent who's not the default parent and so if you need to start that way send them this podcast send them one of my Instagram posts send them a Dr. Becky post like they're all very quick things that if you see something just like tag them in it send it to them if they read it or not eventually it will catch on it's just not an overnight thing and my last piece of advice is not to correct your partner in front of your child in the middle of like a meltdown. Obviously, if there's anything like physical or a safety issue, jump in. But if like they say something wrong or they do something, they, they, they handle it differently, wait until everybody's emotions are cooled down. Try to find one thing positive that they did. Like, I love how you took charge of that situation. Um, Like, here's why I think it might not have worked for her or whatever, however you guys talk, but outside of the moment and not like in the moment because that just makes it a you against them against your kid and it's like no one's on the same page so that's my last piece of advice but thank you for being here that was it that was it that was the whole thing yeah i was just getting warmed up we gotta go pick her up well i gotta go pick her up okay all right the little girl i think we're gonna have to do a part two because this is a really good conversation bring it on man did you like being on the show i want more i thought there was gonna be more questions that's why i was rushing through the end because i was like i think i have to go but do we have to pick her up right now there's not time for one more question we're gonna do a part two if you want a part two if the people if the people want a part two i don't know if they if i i don't know if this is too much pedics for one uh, (laughs) one podcast it's a lot right (laughs) a lot of maybe get a chance to to, to crack any jokes okay okay we'll we'll see you all next time thank you for being here thanks for listening guys 
If you enjoyed this podcast, please consider rating it and leaving a review, which helps other parents find it.